This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. This is Jordan Moorhead, and this is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, we have Sapan Talati on, and he's going to tell us all about what they're up to at JT Capital and how they're finding great deals with risk-adjusted returns right now so you don't lose your shirt. Hey, Sapan, how are you? Well, thanks, Jordan. How are you? Thanks for having me. Doing great. Uh, and I know we talked a little bit before, so I'm really excited to talk about some of the subjects we've got coming here. Uh, but before we get started, what's your favorite restaurant in Austin? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, so I, I reside out here in Southern California. I visit Austin often. Um, we're based out of Austin, and one of them's uh, La Margarita Restaurante. It's up in Round Rock. Uh, I'm a Tex-Mex uh, fan, so I've got a little bit of bias there. We've got some good Tex-Mex here in Austin. So you, you do. You'll find plenty of good Tex-Mex places here, but I definitely... Uh, Definitely got a good list going if you ever need it. Um, Love so, it. Sapan, real quick, uh, who are you and how are you involved in real estate investing? Sure. I'm a co-founder here at JT Capital. Uh, we've been, or I've been involved in the industry for about 15, 18 years now at this point. Uh, transacted well over a billion, maybe closer to $2 billion in terms of just multifamily real estate throughout my career. Um, we focus on... You know, I want to say value add, but it's not just value add, really it's repositioning, uh, good quality assets, institutional quality assets, and, and good locations. Our uh, focus is predominantly Florida and Austin. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Uh, both great markets. What drew you to Austin? Why, why do you guys choose Austin? Um, well, we've, we've loved Austin for a while. Um, you know, the demographics, um, you know, just focusing on the, the changing of the environment, the growth that's been you know, going on there, going back almost 15 years, it's been on the radar. Um, and then having two partners that reside in Austin uh, really made more of a, uh, probably made more sense at that point. Um, almost couldn't get better in terms of boots on the ground at that point. And uh, it took some time of really locating deals. Uh, we, we've underwritten many, I couldn't even put a number uh, of deals over there. And, and the numbers are a little tough sometimes to find that risk adjusted return, but yeah, again, it's it's trying to find that diamond in the rough, and and you tend to find those every now and then, uh, as long as you keep putting yourself in position to get those opportunities. Uh, so Austin's really been a focal area, largely because of our presence there, um, and then Florida, of course, is, is kind of our bread and butter out, outside of that. Um, other areas in Texas, we've been looking into uh, Houston, um, Dallas. We've largely exited, uh, so we're we're familiar with Texas, uh, just very selective. Yeah, I love that. So th that brings up a question for me. Mm -hmm. Why have you gotten out of Dallas at this point? Uh, I had more to do with resource um, in, in the sense of just where we're, we're based out of. Um, you know, as we're focusing more on operations, we wanted to make sure we had the ability to continue to uh, excel uh, on the operational front. Um, you know, we're seeing when we're acquiring deals, for example, we're just seeing a lot of shifting of personnel. Uh, payroll costs have increased. Um, you know, for us, it's just okay. How can we control 
certain costs? How can we pull in other personnel if we need to as folks are moving from one asset to another? Uh, and, and especially be able to maintain uh, that consistency in terms of you know how we operate and what we want to deliver you know internally. Uh, obviously, all of these have an impact on the overall end result of, of the asset performance. Um, but for example, if we were to have a community manager leave for, for whatever reason, um, we wanted to have the ability of just bringing in another community manager, hit that ground running. Uh, they're already familiar with the asset, familiar with how our expectations are, familiar with the communication, uh, the platforms we utilize. And, and so that was a big uh, piece for us. Um, the other part to it is we, we found it to be more advantageous for us on the acquisition side um, to really laser focus on a few selected markets, um, you know, where we can understand that market, the movement, far more than just looking at a CoStar report and data points, but rather there's familiarity with what's going on locally. Um, you know, having access to, um, I would say, kind of on the local town level, uh, knowing, you know, different permits, what's going on uh, in terms of development and not just real estate specific to residential and commercial uh, multifamily, but also just on the, um, uh, the retail side. Mm -hmm. And we felt that's been impactful with how we've been looking at deals. Um, and what I'm trying to get at is not everything is going to be a data point, but part of that is also just being a qualita uh, uh, qualitatively understand uh, what's going on in that submarket. So that's been helpful. Um, you know, for example, knowing that there may be a Costco going up six months from now and knowing how long that takes to, to build, uh, they have an impact on the, the traffic, um, especially if it's an area that's somewhat up and coming, um, not far out from maybe where we're currently located or we've been looking at deals. Um, and having an understanding of how that's going to impact, um, you know, rent because maybe there's going to be other uh, supporting businesses that are possibly permitted or going through the permit process. And, and so those are things that we find or variables, I should say, that we find um, important um, for a group of our size where we feel like that's, that's enough of a difference maker, um, you know, to, to remain and be competitive and, and look at it as a competitive advantage. Yeah. And I think that's so important too. A lot of people, you know, when you're just looking for the best return in the best market, you know, like you mm -hmm. just mentioned, you don't know when a cost goes going in that specific area if you're not paying attention, or you don't know when, let's say in Austin, we've got Kyle just south of Austin and Snooze, mm -hmm. the uh, the breakfast place that's based out of Denver that's real popular around the country, is putting a snooze in in Kyle. And there's a Costco that just mm -hmm. opened in Kyle. There's another Costco that's opening in Georgetown here soon. Like, if you know that stuff and you've got your hand on the market or pulse on the market, right. you can make better purchases and better decisions. And it's hard to do when you're spread out all over the place. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely correct. You know, and, and it impacts your underwriting because um, looking at other comps and just underwriting off comps, that that's a snapshot in time. Um, but how do you project forward looking, right? And, and sure, we can take market fundamentals and local economics and, uh, you know, like we will, and we of course do, but to have confidence in uh, where we feel occupancy could be as a result of what's going on around locally, um, you know, understanding what your, your demographic is. Uh, you know, another example is, you know, we look at migration patterns, understanding where certain maybe ethnic groups um, tend to uh, prefer to reside and, and uh, you know, part of that, and I'm just giving the example I'm going to use, we're looking at a submarket, you know, we understand there's a larger, um, uh, I would say, sub subgroup of Puerto Ricans there. Um, you know, in general, they tend to reside with family, with grand grandparents. And so like these four bedroom units, 
make more sense in that particular zip code where it may not make sense in many other locations. Uh, and so that can become somewhat of an attractive asset because we understand what's going on locally in that demographic uh, on a cultural basis. So we can price that in uh, versus, oh, this has uh, five or 7% of the asset has four bedrooms. This is this may or may not work for us. Uh, and, and so that, that kind of comes back to how do we take what we're looking at how does that translate into the overall business plan? And then can we execute? And it, it, it has to be a little bit more than just the data points. Uh, and, and so being spread out for us didn't make sense. Um, and we found this to be quite a successful model for us. Uh, we, we started doing this uh, right, right before COVID, where we started really laser focusing on two or three different um, specific submarkets in Florida and then just Austin. Nice. So, Sapan, what initially got you interested in real estate investing? Because everybody starts somewhere, and, it, and a lot of people do make a jump into bigger multifamily quicker than others, but not everybody does. Sure. Yeah, uh, for me, it was it's just been my career trajectory. Uh, I used to be in uh, management consulting. Um, my clients were in the real estate side, commercial real estate. So it was just a natural shoe-in uh, where a lot of my my training on the strategy and operations side was uh, some of these larger portfolios uh, that some private equity firms had. And uh, I just kind of grew up in that environment from there. Nice. Good place to start. Um, sure. So I, I know you mentioned earlier, like it helps you to be focused in one market from a, mm-hmm. a asset management and a management perspective. And actually, believe it's funny you mentioned that because I'm in two deals where we just had to change mm. management companies because the management companies are having such trouble staffing right now. Mm-hmm. I can see where it would be a, an advantage to be in a specific market. Um, so are you seeing that a lot with management companies you're using where they're having trouble staffing or how does it help you to be concentrated in one market? Sure. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Sure. Um, You know, we're seeing that. Um, We ourselves aren't necessarily experiencing that, but we're seeing that uh, just, you know, we we tend to talk to other operators locally. Um, You know, we're always looking to buy another deal, and, and that question comes up, and, you know, a lot of times the local um, the onsite team, uh, they, they tend to share more information than maybe other folks would, would like for, uh, to be shared, but we do hear that. Um, you know, I, I think it comes down to relationships. Um, you know, we've got, I can speak for us. We've got good relationships with our team, um, where we've, we've had asset managers want our onsite asset management community managers want to stay on board with us or follow us. Um, and so I think for us, it's a little different in the sense that we've just been very relational. Sure, we've lost a few, um, but it's been just as easy for us to replace them uh, because we've got that, um, you know, the relationship with some other folks that we may have worked with previously that are elsewhere. Um, are you vertically integrated? You- no, we're not. Okay. So we, we work with a couple of different uh, third-party property management companies. Um, that's, you know, purely by design in the sense that, um, you know, the vertical integration makes sense. Uh, we just don't have that scale uh, where we'd like to be able to do that t- today. Um, you know, I think the scale really depends on what type of asset you're buying. You know, for some folks that, that could be anywhere 4,000, 5,000 doors. For others, it could be you know, over seven, 8,000 doors. It really just depends on your model. Uh, depends on how uh, spread out you are or how concentrated you are. 
what type of assets you're buying. Um, you know, are these largely C class? Are you buying A class? So there's just kind of give you some extremes. Uh, mm-hmm. Really tough to say what that magic number is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure the the rents have a lot to do with it too. Can you pay somebody? To be sure. Just yeah, it's. I would not want to be vertically vertically integrated with management company ever, but I'm sure at some point it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. So you know, you you're also in Florida, which mm-hmm. the first thing I think about when I think about Florida right now is insurance. Um, yes. How's that affected you? Are, have insurance costs gone way up? They have. They have gone up quite a bit, um, as expected, but not to the degree that we're seeing. Um, we, we did expect insurance costs to go up. Um, you know, we, we haven't expected them to go up as high as anywhere from 70 to hundred percent on, on some of the assets. Uh, we've looked at some deals that we liked quite a bit. Um, and then once we looked at the insurance, we ended up having to walk away from the deal, um, well ahead of, before we made an offer, uh, just to kind of give you some numbers. Uh, we, we've seen deals ranging anywhere from, uh, 2000 upwards to $3,000 a door on the insurance front. Um, these are mostly on the coastal areas. Um, so, and then of course it comes down to the stick build versus the concrete block. Uh, so there'll be some savings there, but I think the biggest challenge there is, uh, most carriers, if not all are not, uh, giving you bindable quotes. So you very well could get into a contract and you've got this quote, but it's not really a true quote, you know, uh, until it's bindable. And that might take some time, you know, into your, um, your, your, uh, um, yeah, due diligence period where what do you do how do you how do you navigate around that so those are some challenges there um you know i also recognize this is probably just a snapshot in time type conversation you know that that may change i expect it to change um you know we're not expecting insurance to come back to earth anytime soon so we've just got to live in that environment so it's not just that rising interest rate environment but we've got the increase in insurance costs um you know and it varies uh you know we're seeing it a little bit cheaper inland um you know, some other challenges that really hasn't been discussed. Um, you know, we talk about the cost of it, but then your your deductibles also increase 2%. It's just not a thing that's offered today. Uh, we're, we're seeing it, you know, much higher than 2%. Uh, so there's some other things that um, you have to take into account when you're, when you're looking at an asset and your overall uh, returns, what they look like. Yeah, and I think in, you know, in Texas, we have our own, our own intricacies. Mm-hmm. We've got property taxes, which have shot up. It sounds right. like they're going to go down. I don't know if you saw the the Texas mm-hmm. House and Senate uh, seem to have agreed on a property right. tax reduction bill that should help everybody. Um, I don't know the specifics yet because it's not passed. Yeah. But hopefully this week we learn more. And w- just for this week, for everybody listening, we're recording this on July 12th. Um, just the news just came out in the last two days that they they had agreed, but they have not signed. A property tax relief bill yet here in Texas. Yeah, and the impact of that will be really interesting. Uh, similarly, they passed legislation in, in Florida earlier this year related to insurance as well. Um, but you know, we're we're not expecting that to have a, a significant, um, you know, I would say observable change uh, at least you know this year, uh, but probably possibly going into next year. Um, you know, these things just take some time, and uh, you know. For, for the time being, um, it's an industry-wide problem. So um, it makes it, in a, in a different way, a unique sense, um, 
I don't want to say easier to navigate, but the conversations are a bit easier to have because it's not a one-off. Oh yeah. So for people listening, um, the two you said two to three thousand a unit is is starting to be the standard in Florida. What for, for coastal select coastal. coastal the further south you're going, yeah, and, and this this tends to be more in the the areas that have a higher uh, probability for uh, you know storm right. or hurricane, especially as we 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 hit hurricane season, which we're currently in. Uh, and that's the other thing, you know, the, the cost is, is obviously quoted a little bit higher during hurricane season, could increase significantly more if there's a named storm, whether or not it's going towards the asset you're interested in. Um, those are some other things that just, you know, unfortunately play a role. Um, but, but it's, it's interesting times because same thing, you got these sellers that may want to sell or not want to sell, you know, you try to adjust pricing according, but they also have to face the renewal on, on the, the insurance as well. And so, there's some thought and decisions and analysis that need to be had on both sides, uh, whether you're a buyer or a seller. Yeah. And for reference, what are you seeing or what have you seen recently for cost per unit in Austin or in the central Texas area? Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. I'd have to check uh, on that one. Uh, I know we just did the renewal on, on that, but I don't want to give you the the wrong number. Okay. Uh, so just yeah. average or ballpark, would it be half, two thirds? Uh, I would say it's about half. Um, okay. we, we've seen increases o- over there as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. it also depends on uh, same thing, the age, um, you know, the location. And, and so the impact hasn't been as significant. Um, one of the driving forces that we've seen in Florida, uh, I think has, you know, a lot to do with some of these past storms. Uh, we, we've seen the increase in, in, in costs, right. For, for building or construction, I should say. So you want to cover that. Um, but what I thought was a unique statistic and, you know, I think it could be a variable is um, you, if you look at the number of this is, this is kind of comical in a way, but the number of lawsuits um, that have occurred on single family homes mm-hmm. uh, across the country. Um, and don't quote me on this, but somewhere in this range, somewhere around like the upper 80, 80% range um, of those lawsuits are in Florida uh, on single family homes. And so that's where it, it's kind of, you know, I think uh, somewhat of a legislation uh, problem or why they've, They've enacted some new legislation to address that, but those are some factors that end up, you know, coming back to all of us uh, in terms of when we're paying our premium because they've got to recoup some of those costs. So was that um, a lawsuit it, in like a seller didn't disclose damage or something like that, or? Um, you know, I don't know the the the, the details behind that. Um, these are just data points I was okay. reading or trying to really understand um, what's what's kind of behind uh, the insurance costs having gone up um, quite a bit. And that was one of the, the things that was mentioned um, is that they're seeing, you know, just these lawsuits, um, you know, and I, I don't know whether that's a function of um, folks had um, maybe filed some claims and, and they, they were denied and then therefore it lent, ended up landing there and were those claims filed because of the result of some of the storms that we've seen um, or is it something entirely different? But I just thought it was fascinating to, to just see such a large number in one state um 
you know, relative to, to the country. And um, so, so my thought on that was, okay, well, this might be one of the reasons we're seeing a significant increase specifically to Florida, especially along the coast. Um, you know, we've seen some of those increases out, out in Houston uh, as well. Oh, yeah. um, not nearly as much, you know, in, uh, in Austin. Yeah. Yeah. We're a good, good bit from the coast. We're not that far, but two and a half, three hours. Right. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. I think there's just there's so many factors. Um, and I think, you know, due diligence is so important and mm -hmm. doing the right due diligence and making sure you have the right cost yeah. estimated and anybody in any level of real estate investing can learn a lot from that. Right. Do you have a big mistake that you've made investing in real estate upon that you'd say, hey, don't do this? So I know for me and why I brought up the due diligence pieces, it was sure. due diligence. I didn't do the mm -hmm. right due diligence on a property and I should have gotten a lot more in credit on it or I should have passed. Uh, I think, you know, it is maybe something that um, maybe just can't like a, a, a cop out, but really it's just something like none of us saw. Um, you know, in hindsight, I wish we had, um, purchased lower rate caps on, you know, a couple of our deals. Yeah. We're not yeah. in trouble. I just think it would have been, um, significantly impactful when these rate caps were, um, far cheaper than they are today. And, uh, the thought is just having that, that foresight, <laughs> foresight. And again, you know, very few people of any, uh, projected where we would be today. Um, nobody, you know, our, nobody our, I know. yeah, nobody I know either. Um, you know, we, we were expecting rates to go up a little bit further once we got into it, but you know, before all of this started, uh, you know, we, we were, we were still, uh, I mean, we, we're, um, risk averse. So our, our rate caps were, we were buying around two, 200 basis points anyway. So we weren't, even if the lender had required 300 or 350 bips, we were still looking at 200 at the time. So, um, for us, that's been, it's been a nice, um, it's a situation, but at the same time, it's just, Hey, we should have bought 50 basis points if we could have. Um, I'd say that's, that's probably one of the, I think learning lessons or whatnot is when, um, you know, it's just kind of looking at some of these extremes a little bit more, um, with a little more awareness and, and partly because we've been through, um, you know, if you want to call it black swan <laughs> during COVID, uh, we, we seem to have some more of these events, uh, far more, than we've probably seen historically um you know like 30 40 years ago we're talking about the high interest rates and, and you know kind of like these uh you know we had one recession you know early 90s with 98 03 07 08 and, and, and you know a lot of the normalcy was um it's easy to just study that history but what we've seen the last you know 14 years where we've had significant cap compression We've had, you know, interest rates coming down significantly too, where you go out for a loan and, and they have a floor written in uh, because the interest rates are lower than the floor. Um, that That's just stuff we've never really, you know, seen, um, in, at least in our lifetime. Uh, and then you follow it up with these, you know, 30, 40 percent rental increases uh, that we were seeing in, in 2021, uh, early part of 2022. Um, also something entirely unique. And, and so Florida, I feel how we, Florida, yeah, we're seeing a lot of uniqueness that it's just, Hey, let's take a look at this with, with an extra, you know, an extra eye, just, just to make sure we're, you know, for, again, for us, it's like, we're that risk averse group. And so it's well worth it. Um, 
it may or may not make sense for everybody, but that that that's for us is one of the learning lessons, uh, at least for our model. Yeah. So, Sapan, did you get into the industry in 08, if I'm doing my math right? Or were you right, right yeah. around there? Okay, cool. Yeah, right around there. A little bit before that, 06, um, uh, you know, from the consulting environment. So that's mm-hmm. correct. So you saw what kind of what happened with commercial real estate in 08, which wasn't bad in in most cases. Yeah. yeah it was right. actually good right, compared to residential. <laughs> Um, correct, correct. Yeah. So, with the rate caps, and I particularly, uh, I think, sensitive to the term right now. I've been, I'm an LP in a couple deals with mm-hmm. rate caps right now. One of them just had a capital call. Okay. Um, the, they, the rate, I think we, the rate we went in at was around three. The rate cap was a uh, two, like you said, two hundred basis points. It mm-hmm. got there real quick. And then yeah. I, th- I want to say the rate yeah. cap expired. Uh, where were mm-hmm. you at? And when, what'd you go in at? What did the, what was the rate cap up to? And where's it at now? Sure. Um, the one I'm thinking off the top of my head, we, we closed on a deal last year, July. Um, we got in around three and a half, three, six, five, 365 wow. bips um, wow. on the rate. We, uh, we actually bought a 50 basis point rate cap. And so we locked in pretty low. Um, I think that was unique because we were, when we were going in, we knew at that point it was pretty well known, right? Rates are going to continue to go up. And so then it was, okay, uh, what kind of lender do we want to work with? And we had decided to go with balance sheet, uh, a balance sheet lender largely because they are more likely to retain the spread and not change that on you as you're getting closer to uh, closing. We've seen a number of GPs where, um, their uh their spread you know kind of changed on them um you know in that final week or maybe the 11th hour and it changes your numbers and you know it caused a lot of unnecessary stress so that was one of the things we had done was really focus on uh, what kind of lender we're working with um you know we we felt pretty strong that the the rates were going to continue to go up because we weren't seeing anything in the news cycle that really led us to feel confident that there's an end in sight um and Again, we don't have a crystal ball, but we just didn't feel conf- confident or nor comfortable. So we had decided to pay the premium for the 50 basis point. Uh, so we were already in the money at that point. And, um, you know, in hindsight, that was something we're, we're um, you know, we're pleased with. Um, the deal before that we had done, our, our rates were, let's say around 262, 262 bips. And that's the one we did with 200, a 200 uh, rate cap uh, or basis point rate cap on that. Um, so we've been fortunate that some of the levers we've pulled um have, have you know turned out to be fine um but that being said you know it, it's always it would have been nicer if we could have even come in a little bit uh earlier um the, the focus that we've been doing on ours because we recognize we're going to at some point come to a place where either we need to refinance this uh into fixed rate even though it feels like fixed rate with the rate caps um or look at other options um is is really are we hitting our pro forma are we hitting the numbers that we had expected because those are the things we can control right we can control our revenue we can control the expenses and really just dial in on that uh make sure that we're operating um you know as as we expected and executing on our renovation plans executing on operations as a whole um currently in rent preservation mode you know especially as we're seeing softening of the rental markets uh keeping a keen eye on uh, new deliveries, uh, because that will then at some point further soften the market. 
so keeping a pulse on those things and not really as concerned where the market's going in terms of interest rates because we've got that rate cap kicked in as it relates specifically to the assets we're holding. Um, but we're really focusing on making sure we've got um, options available uh, as we get closer towards uh, a terminal point um, because we don't want to ever be a seller uh, due to the fact that we have to sell. Or we want seller, to be a seller. Yeah. Because, yeah, exactly, because it makes sense to sell. And so that, that's really how we're, we're making sure we position ourselves. So we're not looking at a sale when it's six months before uh, maybe terminal point on, on certain things, but rather just continuously looking at this every quarter. Have, um, have any loan programs changed? Has there been any changes in um, maybe the spread? Um, are there new things available to us as, as borrowers? Um, you know, how are the covenants currently being structured? Is there more flexibility in some of these covenants that, that might make that loan um, more uh, attractive to us, or is it adverse? So these are things we want to continue to keep a pulse on um, be, because it may or may not be applicable today, but if we're understanding the trend of where we were and where we're going, it makes it a lot easier to make those decisions because they're not just decisions that we're shooting from the hip and saying, guys, we've got to do something here. And what, what's on the menu versus, okay, we understand what's been going on. Um, so now might be a good time because we're seeing, you know, certain indicators that suggest this could become worse or we're seeing indicators that this could become better. Um, you know, similarly, we put a five-year fixed, uh, fixed rate interest-only debt on one of our deals. We, we refied into it. Um, you know, we feel that interest rates will somewhat come down than where they were about six months ago at that time. And that's given us optionality that, you know, this may be a little bit of a longer hold than five years, but we don't want to be stuck in a 10-year IO with today's interest rates. So we, yeah. we figured we'd do another refi down the road. So it's, it's, it's just taking that approach, that mindset um, to what works specific to, you know, that asset and, and the business plan that you had in mind for that asset. Yeah, no, that makes a whole lot of sense. It's just so hard to predict any of that stuff, where rates going to be. We, like you Absolutely. said, nobody had any idea they were going to go up this much, this fast. And Correct. it's easy for people that, you know, aren't as involved in the industry. And I'm not saying I, I'm an LP in a few deals. And I, mm -hmm. I did my due diligence thinking there's no way they're going to go up that much. But it's easy for other people yeah. to say, how could you not have predicted that? And nobody did. So it's, nobody just, did. Yeah. it's just unfair to to talk about it like everybody should have known type of thing. Um, Sapan, so if you had to start over today, and I know you started in, the commercial side anyway yeah. if you had to start over today is there anything you'd do differently jordan moorhead here really quickly wanted to tell you a couple other ways you can keep track of us if you want to listen to all these podcasts and ask questions the moorhead team on youtube is the best place to be and then austin real estate investors on meetup is a great place to keep track of all of our meetups we have going on that's a good question um i mean i, I think if I had to start over, I, I would I would definitely start through working at a large institution. I, I feel that some of the um, the skills you you acquire in observing how certain um, uh, I would say businesses are structured makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, I've always felt consulting in, in a way, like working at a management consulting shop, for example, is somewhat of a shortcut. Um, when I say shortcut, I don't mean that in a negative way, but really you just get a lot of different experience in a lot of different areas and, and you can really focus on a particular industry. 
Um, so by the time you are in your mid late twenties, you, you've got, I feel almost double that experience because you're working with C-suite individuals. You're, you're uh, working, you know, in an environment that, um, you know, has a lot of expectations, you know, for deliveries and deliverables. Um, but I think it also depends on what, what you really want out of that career. Cause you know, there, there's a lot of folks who are wanting to get in and they want more of that lifestyle. Um, they don't want to maybe draw a massive portfolio, but maybe they want to do a deal a year. Um, for that, I'd just say, you know, honestly, it, it'd be, you know, spend some time finding somebody you can latch on to that's willing to mentor you and, and help you and maybe work together with, uh, I mean, I've heard from some folks, they've, um, you know, tried to underwrite an intern for well-known, um, groups out there and, and that's helped them quite a bit. Um, so I think it just depends on probably on what you really want out of your career, uh, where you want to be. Um, so that, that, that would probably be my, my, my answer to that. Yeah. What are your goals are? Where are you trying to go? So what are your goals? Right. What are your long-term goals and what, what's your vision for real estate investing for yourself for the company? Yeah, no, thank you. I, I mean, our, our, we're, we're living our long-term goal today. We just want to continue growing our business, uh, acquire more good deals. Um, we don't want to do too fast. So we're, you know, we, we like to sleep well at night. Um, we never feel, uh, pressured to buy a deal just to buy a deal uh we haven't bought anything this year we're um you know we, we're sitting on a lot of dry powder we've been underwriting and looking at deals to keep a pulse on the market um we're we're in that mindset um that we may not do a deal this year even though we're only in july we feel that we're getting into a point where there's going to be uh distressed opportunities um when i when we get distressed it's not like a true distress we just think that there's going to be Groups out there that have some financial constraints or strain, um, just due to the the current loan that they may have or expiring rate caps, uh, yeah. could be an expiring uh, bridge loan, or, or maybe the insurance renewal is not going to work out for them. So we're we're trying to keep up with with that. You know, we, we've got a lot of dialogue going on with some groups that are kind of approaching that. Um, so we're we're patiently waiting. Um, we're starting to see some more transactional. Uh, I would say. Uh, indicators where the volume will start to pick up a little bit more, but really not expecting a whole lot, you know, until, until next year. Um, but in terms of long-term goal, it's just acquiring more deals, similar to ones we've been buying institutional quality deals that are, um, you know, a few years built, uh, recently built for merchant builders on to, you know, within the last 15, 20 years um, in great locations. Okay. So you're class A and class B stuff in, in good locations. Correct. Okay. Yep, cool. That's correct. Yeah. And yeah. I think, uh, Everybody is waiting to see what happens right now. And I, uh, are yeah. you seeing that the cap rates are still a little bit below the the debt that you can get right now on some of these stuff? Uh, they're right around there. Depending on where exactly you're looking, it, it could be slightly above or it could be slightly below. Um, so it's it's tough to really say, you know, exactly where it's at. Um, well, yeah, if you're every, buying every market, the market is yeah, every market's a little different. The assumable debt right now, you can get more aggressive on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've got a deal that we're we put out on market. Um, you know, we're we're selling that. You know, sub five cap, um, mm-hmm. and right. and uh, we're able to get aggressive on it because of the current interest rate on that. You know, the fixed rate. Um, if it's free and clear, we would have been selling it a little bit at a, at a higher cap rate. Um, and so it just depends on the the deal specifics. 
mm-hmm. and then where you're at. Um, and then the other part to it is what kind of interest rates are you getting? Different groups um, can go to the same lender, but depending on you know their overall portfolio, the REL schedule, um, depending on um, you know a few other factors, right? That that interest rate will be different, you know, from group to group, even though you go the same lender. So um, it's kind of tough. I think it, you know it, it. It really just goes back to what, what's your hold period in a way. You know, are you looking at three to five years, five to seven, seven plus? What kind of debt are you going to put on the deal? Are you looking to go HUD on this? Um, so some of those things are going to play make a difference as to you know is this a deal that works for us or not. Um, you know, one thing that we're we're trying we're very keen on is to make sure we're not looking at that negative leverage. Um, either we we just don't feel comfortable doing that today. So that's been one of the other reasons why it's been tough to find a deal that just makes sense. Oh, I bet. Can you do HUD debt on because that's like forty year debt, right? Thirty. Uh, 30, 40, yeah. Thirty. Uh, 40, right. 30 or forty. Yeah, I know it's typically like the ten year prepay, and after that, you don't have a prepay. Um, I mean, it could be part of a strategy. Um, it works if you've got LPs that are looking to stay in, uh, in yeah. a deal longer term, you know, we, we've got LPs that prefer that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, that makes sense on select, uh, opportunities. Um, but it doesn't always make sense to, to do that. Well, yeah, I think a lot of people want to keep the money moving, but a lot of people just want to sit mm-hmm. and, and collect their income, yeah. collect their cash flow. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you've got deals right now that are cash flowing nicely. Yeah. Um, they just want to continue doing that the value of the asset at that point may or may not matter. Uh, you're, you know, that, that cash flows continue to increase uh, organically, you know, closer to double digits. And in your, uh, you know, along the way, you've been able to cash out some of the principal. Um, those types of deals are great. Um, you know, but it also depends on the LPs. Yeah, preferences, probably age to what you're doing. Um, Correct, yeah, and if you're doing mandates, uh, you know, in the original investment that, uh, require a certain sell a, a selling point or or like a deadline. That would yeah I don't I feel like that would be just a bad spot. You have to sell at a certain time. Right. right. Be sketchy. Um, Sapan, so do you have a favorite business or mindset book that you like to recommend to people? A favorite business? Business or mindset could be either one. Um, you know, I, I think the mindset is probably the most important. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the business is always involved, evolving, changing, that landscape's changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the ones that we've seen, uh, you know, like those larger groups that have been successful for, for many years, the ones that are able to adapt and, you know, latch on to new technology, not fall in love with any one particular technology. Um, otherwise you kind of go that route of, um, you know, thinking like BlackBerry, for example, right? You just become a, a, an aged dinosaur and, and you end up having to shift that business model into security, you know, cell phone security or, or, or whatever they're doing now, something related to that. Um, so I, I think it's more of a mindset where it, I always just say, don't fall in love with any particular technology. Uh, that's what's going to continue to change, but just always be learning, um, you know, be a student to, to your craft uh, uh, because these things are changing quicker. You know, the new thing now is AI and AI technology and how can we, implement that um you know i think that stuff people should be learning how to utilize there's a lot of new platforms that are um, using that on their backbone uh so just have awareness of that uh you know whether or not you're tech savvy um but i think it's worth just being a student to your craft and that's like that mindset uh, of, of go get it done what are the top two ways you're seeing ai 
implemented in your business? Sure. Um, well, I would say one is definitely on the underwriting side. Uh, that's been around for some time. Um, it's definitely picked up a lot more steam recently. And there, there's a number of platforms out there that are that are doing it slightly different, but where you can literally just drag and drop, um, you know, T12s, uh, rent roll, and it'll just spit out underwriting based on, you know, uh, things that like parameters you've, you've set in there, like pre preset parameters. Um, am I comfortable with relying on AI technology to do our underwriting? No, not at all. <laughs> um, we do use it, uh, more so for cleaning up the rent roll, giving us, uh, different looks, um, almost like a pivot table, but you know, getting you the look you want. So it, it just saves us a lot of time in terms of just cleaning it up, organizing it. Um, but at the end of the day, we still do all of our own underwriting. Uh, I just don't feel confident enough that we're there yet. So how do you uh, on the AI to clean up the rent roll? I really want to dig into that. So what, it, yeah, so, I hate underwriting. Um, I'm trying to right. underwrite smaller commercial deals right now. It's my least favorite thing sure. to do. Anything I can do to help. Right, right. I mean, it's tough, right? How do you rely on AI to pick the comps for you? As oh, one sure, example, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, they like, make suggested comps, and, yeah. and I think that just goes back tough. to I've never been a fan of, you know, within a one mile radius and three mile radius because, as you and I both know, it's never a proper circle. It, it could be the next two blocks over or yeah. terrible, and everything this way is great. And so, if you do a radius, you're capturing, you know, just bad data that's going in, and so. Um, and then the other parts, like just the amenities, right? Different different assets have different amenities, so you've got to take that into to, uh, consideration. But um, yeah, how do you? What, it, what I like a lot. Sometimes we get these rent rolls where um, each unit's got five different rows going across, and I don't want to see it in five rows. I just want to see it in one row. So it'll help clean that up. Um, I want to see trend lines. I want to see, um, you know, the rents that are expiring. Yeah, how many how many units are expiring? Like you know, the releases, I should say, you know, by month. And I want to see that bar graph um, just kind of gives me an idea what that bell-shaped curve looks like. So, I'm, you know, when we're looking at underwriting, um, are we doing all 12-month leases? Are we going to have to adjust some of these leases on the renewals so we can get that uh, optimal um, curve that we'd like to see where we've got more leases during peak season to be, you know, to fulfill? Um, you know, so there's these like charts and graphs that it's, it's a lot quicker if I can get that all done without having to do the inputs and manipulate the data to kind of get those uh, those things. Um, so that's what we use the AI for. I don't know if it's called true AI, you know, because there's automation already out there, but that's, that's just what we've been, you know, utilizing, um, you know, so far today, there are companies out there, um, that are doing it a little bit further. Uh, and, you know, I don't, I haven't spent a whole lot of time learning about it just yet. Um, I think it's fascinating, but you know, on the asset management side, that's where I think we've been spending some more time. And, and that's the area that I myself haven't been. Um, but I know the team has been, and, and that's just, um, how are we, you know, structuring these leases? Um, also where can we, you know, lower or save operational costs and streamline that. So we've been really focused on lowering expenses, you know, with some of this that's now available to us and, you know, probably offline, I'll have to find some tools that we've been using and I can send over your way. Yeah. I think, I mean, what we're seeing now too, compared to what we'll see a year from now, is just going to be night and mm -hmm. day. If you and I talked and oh next july i'm sure you'd be using right. a lot more for a lot different uh, sure i can things. see that as a prospective renter you know you've got these chat boxes which are going to have yeah. so much more to offer right you can just start chatting and it's going to be pulling data from you know the assets uh data data stuff or whatever the data warehouse specific to the asset we're almost 
uh, it's like talking to a leasing consultant after hours. Um, you know, yeah. I, I can see a lot of things that can that can happen and transform our industry, um, which, which is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool here in the next year or two. Well, probably six months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Sapant, what is the best way to people to get a hold of you and your company? Sure. Uh, I would say the best way is just go to our website. Uh, it's just jtcapitalgroup.com. Um, if you try and get a hold of me specifically, um, you know, I recently started uh, Twitter, just at Sapan Salati, or you can email me, Sapan at jtcapitalgroup.com. And on Twitter, are you at Sapan Talati, all one word? All one word. All right. Interesting enough. Twitter actually has a really good real estate Twitter Twitter following or Twitter sphere, whatever you want to call it. Yes, yes. Yeah, it does. Awesome. It's, it's got a lot, of, a lot of great people on there and a lot of good info. Um, yes, yeah, folks out there listening, watching this, if, if you're not on there, you don't have to contribute. You can even be a lurker, but there's <laughs> lots of good information out there. Yeah. Yeah, just watch. Awesome. So make sure to follow at Sapan Talati on Twitter, at Jordan underscore Moorhead on Twitter, I think, and Instagram. And Sapan, we'll put uh, JT Capital, all your your links and everything into the show notes here so everybody can just find your information there. Sure. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for coming on, Sapan. It was great talking to you. Thanks and have a great day here. Thank you. Appreciate it, Jordan. You too. All right.